Yeah, good morning, guys. So uh, how many in the room have actually met with their small group this week for the Red Letter Challenge? Throw your hand up. Was that a good experience to kind of uh, uh, set the palette out there for you guys to be able to paint a good uh, small group experience for the next seven weeks? I pray that it is. I want to echo what V said a few minutes ago about joining a small group. And by the way, did you guys know that we are actually piloting a Facebook small group for the Red Letter Challenge as well? And our friend Marge Franzen over here is going to be leading that group. So if you are, yeah, oh, there you go. If you are not in a small group today and you're interested in a small group, but you're not in a position where you can go to small group meetings for some reason, uh, we do have a Facebook group. Go find Marge right over there to sign up for that, and that's where we interact over that material through Facebook, which is really cool. Well, as V said a couple of minutes ago as well, we are in really the first week of the challenge where we're focusing on being. And uh, as we've talked about, we've got five different aspects of the leadership of Jesus that we're pulling sort of to the surface, including being, forgiving, serving, giving, and going. And when we talk about being, what we're talking about is the opposite of doing. We are tempted when we come into the Christian faith to think that the Christian faith is about doing. And in fact, if you think back to before when you became a Christ follower, if you're a Christ follower in the room, maybe you were tempted at some point to think that Christianity was about what you do. And what we're going to do is dispel that myth this morning and propose to you a different way of being with God. So the focus today is not so much about the doing, though when you are with God and you have a relationship with God, what does it do to the things you do? It changes our habits, doesn't it? It changes the things that we think and say and do. So I want to share with you just a couple of thoughts this morning about being. I want to introduce you to a good friend of mine. This is the rowing machine I spend 30 minutes with six days a week at 5.30 in the morning. And as I'm there at Planet Fitness on the rowing machine doing my 30 minutes of cardio, I look up on the wall and I have several different options of television shows to watch. And at the same time, being a multitasker, I also have some Bluetooth headphones on where I'm streaming selections from the Bible. So when I'm working out in the morning, that's my quiet time. It sounds kind of weird because you're in a gym with all kinds of, you know, music pumping overhead, trying to get people pumped up. But I choose to shut all that out and listen to God's word instead because I get that focused time with God's word at the gym. But my pal and I here, the rowing machine, spend the first 30 minutes together. And as I'm on the rowing machine, just getting that cardio in, I'm looking up and literally right above me, like where the bank of lights is above your head, is a series of TV screens. And on those screens, on any given morning, I see a show from HGTV where they're taking an old house, tearing it apart, and then doing what? Renovating it, rebuilding it, building back up again. And then over here, I see the news. And the news, is the news always good news? The news is usually bad news, right? And then down here, I see like the, uh, you know, the channel where they're trying to sell you something like a vacuum cleaner, except the commercial isn't 30 seconds long, it's like 30 minutes long. Have you seen one of those before where, you know, you watch that long enough and it bugs you so much that you want to just order the thing just to get it over with, right? So at any given time when I'm there, you know, doing the rowing and, and the heart rate's going up, I've got several different messages that are presented to me, including the one that's going through my ears. And in that moment, I have a choice. I can get hooked into the HGTV series and look at that and say, oh, that's a good idea. I could do that to my house. 
or rather Heather could do that to my house. <laughs> and if I look at that long enough, maybe I'll learn how, enough how to teach her how to, you know, to do it and let her go do that because she's good at it and I'm not. But if I focus on the news over here and look at all the shootings in Chicago over the weekend, I can sort of feel down. You know, and then I look back over the HTV and I look at that, this big, beautiful house they're building. I start to think, well, wait a minute, my house isn't so great. I should be doing that to my house. And, and then I start to look down the bank of TVs and I see that thing that, you know, that they're trying to sell me that's really important. And maybe I can't really afford that thing right now. And I start to get this kind of feeling inside like, uh, you know, what, what is this? What is this that I'm feeling? And then I, I shut my eyes. And I hear something like the word of God say, God loves you so much that he sent his only son for you. Or your life was meant to be more than just what you have right in front of you. So keep your mind on things above. Or things like God was with someone who didn't expect or understand that he was with them. The messaging that we have all around us every single day presents us with the idea that we have a choice. We have a choice with what to be with, with who to be for. And today's message is about being with God and being able to understand what it means to sometimes say no to other messages that want to change who we are and say yes to the eternal message that tells us who we really are in Christ and gives us the ability to be with God. Let me make a proposition for you. The thing that we worship, what we worship, is that thing that we give top priority to in life. If I were more concerned about the doings and the beings going on in the world around me, then I might be more concerned with the news. If I were more concerned with building the proper house, then I might be more focused on HGTV. If I were more concerned about the stuff on my floor at home, then I might be more concerned about the right vacuum cleaner to buy, even if it takes me 30 minutes to convince me to send in those five payments for that new vacuum cleaner, right? The messaging that we receive in targets us toward being with somebody or with something. And the idea becomes this, whatever we prioritize above anything else, that is what we worship. Have you ever thought about worship that way? The idea that whatever we put first in life is that which we worship. Now look at some of the things that we are tempted to worship in our culture. We are tempted to worship another person. Here's what that looks like. If you remember the days when you were dating, uh, the days when you were dating might not be that far back. But the idea is when you were dating, that person would have become so important to you and so focal to you that you might have been tempted to put that person ahead of God. And in that moment, friend to friend, what was happening, theologically what was happening, is for a moment you were putting that person in the place of God. And that person became your God. Where that person became more prioritized than the God who made you and loves you. Or, for example, when you actually started to make real money. If you achieved that spot in your career where you've started to make money and it started to accumulate, where you're making more money than you actually need to live, and now you're trying to make decisions on what to do with your money. There may be times when you're tempted to place the management of your money up above God. 
and actually try to, to put your life around the management of your finances, even above and over and against the God who made you and gave you that ability. Or the accumulation of stuff is very similar. When you get to a point where you start to build stuff up, then the problem becomes, where do I put my stuff? When I get a bunch of stuff, the stuff can't all go over here in my bedroom anymore. I've got to take it and put it over here. But wait, my house isn't big enough, so maybe I need to get a bigger house to put more, my more stuff in. Or maybe the house isn't nice enough, so we need to watch HTV and we need to change the house so that it's nicer. When people come over, they're more impressed with us than they would have been had we not watched HTV and turned our house, changed our house around, right? You see where the pattern's going? And it also follows through with things like sex. Sex is a god in our culture. Sex is something that people worship and put over and above the God who made them. The idea that if I look a certain way, dress a certain way, have a certain car, have a certain house, have a certain career, present myself a certain way, I'm going to have more sex. And then if they do, that becomes their God and the God who made them and teaches them what sex is for and what it is not about becomes secondary. And then there's the fill in the blank. There's the idea of the political party, the career, you fill in the blank, fill in whatever it is you're tempted to allow become your God. That is the thing that you spend the most priority on, not necessarily the most time, but it's the thing that you give more priority to. That thing becomes your God instead of the God who made you and loves you. I want to share a scripture with you that kind of addresses this head on. The writer of the Hebrews says this to Christ followers. He says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. And let me qualify this reading really quick. If you've ever read Hebrews chapter 11, Hebrews chapter 11 is sort of a short summary of the entire Old Testament and the way that God worked in the faith lives of people who came into the faith before us. It starts way, 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 way back in the beginning, and it works through in just summary after summary how God worked in the lives of people who had faith and took action. And then after that whole chapter is done, you hear from you know, people like Moses and Noah and Abraham and all these different people, even some people maybe you've never heard of, who in faith acted on that faith. Then it gets to chapter 12 and verse 1 and says, because of all these stories... And all these people who went before us, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of those witnesses, he says, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. Well, here's the premise for today. In order to be a follower of Jesus, in order to be a follower of Jesus, you have to persevere. And the good news is that the perseverance God calls you to in your faith and following Jesus and keeping Christ at the top of the list where he actually is your God and not a substitute, that power comes from the Holy Spirit. Yes, we see that in the scripture and we establish that. And at the same time, we know that the Holy Spirit works through spiritual disciplines to lead us in faith to change the way we do some of the things we do. Now, what does that look like? It looks like how to be with Christ. Now, throw your hand up if in the last week you've seen Jesus. You've literally seen him face to face. None of us has seen him. We might have seen images of him. 
Maybe we saw a cartoon of him on South Park. Maybe we saw him on a billboard downtown. You know, maybe we saw him in an app or something that we have. But we've not sat down with him face to face. So the idea of you being with Jesus, spending time with Jesus, is a little weird. Sounds a little metaphysical, a little strange, doesn't it? But yet, God calls us to be with him, to spend time with him, to get to know him. That's what following looks like. And then out of that being comes what? Doing. The doing of different behaviors. The doing of a different lifestyle. Look at this scripture from the back half of that reading. For the joy set before him, he, Jesus, endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And this is where it gets real. It says, consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. You see, the life following Jesus, the life following Jesus gets real and gets challenging and gets difficult when we try to follow Jesus on our own power. And yet God gives us the tools to be able to follow Jesus in a practical way, to follow the gifts of the Holy Spirit in a practical way. What does that look like? Well, it doesn't mean that you have to buy sensory deprivation equipment and hide away from the world. But the idea becomes this. It's almost like you're hiding yourself in Jesus. The scripture talks about clothe yourself with Christ. The idea of wrapping him around you as if he's a garment, enveloping him so that all other experience you, you have in life is, uh, is, is around the idea on the periphery of the idea that you're with Christ. Whenever you have um, the blessing of people come over to your house and your house is not perfect and you're tempted to believe that there's something important about the way they think about your house, you can remember that Christ is in you and around you. And you can remember that the most important thing to present to someone else is not how clean or dirty your house is, but who? Jesus. In the same way, when you're blessed with a healthy relationship at home and you look at that relationship and you're tempted to think, man, I'm so lucky. I've got everything that a man could want for or a woman could want for. You could take a step back from that and say, you know what? I love the God who gave me this. So I'm going to share the God who gave me this with that other person that I'm sharing this marriage with. You see the priorities line up. You see the time and the space that you spend with Christ infiltrate the rest of your life and put it into true perspective. You see, Christ doesn't fall short of saying, I want you to be an option among many. God says, I am a jealous God and I want all of your heart. And it doesn't mean that we don't have the things that we were showing on screen before, that we don't have a nice house, that we don't have a healthy marriage that has sex in it, that we don't have money and things and stuff. It doesn't mean that we don't have those things. It's just when we see those things and recognize that those things are there, we know from whom they came. We know that God gave them to us and that he meant for us to have them and enjoy them as a function of being a follower of Jesus and one who is in his kingdom. I want to share another scripture with you here. And these are the words of Jesus from John chapter 15. Look at what he says. He says, I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes it. And that word also in the original language means cleans, that he cleans it. 
He prunes it so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Catch that. Jesus doesn't say you need to already be clean when you get grafted into the vine. What does he say? He says, I grafted you into the vine. I put you into the vine. You are my branch and I'm going to love you and take care of you. I'm going to clean your life and I'm going to prune your life so that your life can be fully and completely mine. And he goes on and says this. He says, remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. Now, what does that mean for you and me? What does that mean for us to say that we are called to be with Jesus and that we're focusing on being with God in a real way? It's very much the idea of walking in life and walking with Christ, having walk with us, having walk along beside us. Here's how that kind of translates into real stuff. You see, when I spend time with Jesus, when I spend time with Jesus and prioritize time spent with him, whether for you, if it's first thing in the morning, last thing at night or over the lunch hour with a friend or however that might be, maybe you're in the car, maybe you're reading the scriptures at work or whatever case may be. When I spend time with the real Christ, when I check in on the real red letters, I can't wait to follow him. When I spend time with Jesus, I can't wait to do what he does. I literally can't hold myself back from doing what Jesus does. Not because I'm good, but because he's good and he's making me gooder. Is gooder a word? We're going to make it a word. He's making me gooder. Right? He's, he's not taking the stuff I want to do and working in spite of it. He's taking the stuff that I want to do and replacing it with, with other stuff that I now want to do instead. I follow him because he wins my heart. He changes me. Coming to church is one of those things. Coming to church is a fuel that I need to keep me going. Now, what happens when you miss church? Let's just throw this out there on the table and talk about the elephant in the room. When you miss church, are you going to go to hell because you miss church? Just go ahead and say no. Ready? One, two, three. You are not going to go to hell because you miss church. But when you miss church, you miss the fuel that you need to follow Jesus. It's not just because of the way the room is set up. It's not because whether or not we have a social media presence. It's not because of how beautiful the music is. And the, the music is beautiful here, is it not? Amen. Right. It's not because of how good the preacher is. Well, you know, we all know that. Right. And it's not because of what we do necessarily with what's on the table here. But the idea is when I come and I gather together with these people, I get what I need to do life as a follower of Jesus. So when I have to miss church, when I absolutely have to miss, I'm not going to guilt myself and say I'm going to hell. That's not true. We know that we live in Jesus. Right. But it means that we miss the fuel we need to be able to follow Jesus in this real life. So what that means is this. It means that we go to church with the same dedication and work ethic with which we go to work or go to school. Now, my kids can miss school basically for one of three reasons. They are bleeding. They are barfing. Or they're running a temperature. Bleeding, barfing, or temperature. Any of those three reasons means they stay home from school, right? 
Otherwise, where are they going to go? They're going to go to school, right? If they have a sniffle, if they have a headache, if they have a cold, I'm sorry. I will give you some medicine. I will love on you and give you a hug. But man, you better get up and put your clothes on because you're going to school, right? And yet when we get to a day when we're, uh, when we're on Sunday morning and we're tempted to miss church, oh man, you know, I, it's tough. I had a late night last night. I'll just stay home from church and, and relax. And then I'll be, you know, I'll have more energy to follow Jesus during the week. Doesn't work like that. It doesn't work like that. Make Sunday morning worship experience a top priority. And if somebody invites you to something on Sunday morning, in that moment when you're making a judgment call, do I go to this person's birthday party or do I go to church instead? Make that judgment call based on your values and who you prioritize at the top of that list. If that relationship is a real relationship and you need to be at church this morning and you have um, the chutzpah, through the Holy Spirit, to say to that other person, hey, thanks for the invite. I would love to be there, but I need to be with God on Sunday morning. If that person is a real friend of yours, will they be there with you and for you after that party is over? Yes. And if not, then reevaluate that relationship. Do you see where I'm headed with this? Same way with the coach. Coach schedules a game at 10 o'clock on Sunday morning. Can you go to the coach and say, look, coach, I want my kid to be there to be with the team? but I need to be with God on Sunday morning. What is that coach going to say? We don't know. We've had coaches say, I get that. I understand it. We'll see you next time. We've had other coaches say, well, you might want to kind of reevaluate this because this is a, you know, an important part of what we do. And we take that seriously. And we've actually had some coaches change the event to accommodate us because we had the chutzpah of the Holy Spirit to say, we need to be with God on Sunday morning. Is this resonating with anybody in the room other than me? The culture is invading Sunday morning. We have the choice on Sunday morning to say, I need to be with God on Sunday morning at 10 a.m. We have that choice. Now, why are we with God on Sunday morning? What does it say? It is the fuel I need to be able to follow Jesus. Does that make sense? But if you find yourself on the soccer field on Sunday morning, I don't want you to feel like you're in danger of the fires of hell. You're not. And when you're there, be the church where you are. But understand that you do have a choice and that you can set that boundary with others. You can tell them where you need to be. Let's go on and look at reading the Bible. Life becomes shareable when I follow Jesus by looking at his life in the Bible. When I read the scripture, I can see him in the scripture doing what he does. And as I follow him by learning him, it gives me the ammunition to be able to share Jesus with other people. It gives me the words to speak. And the more you let that scripture sink into your head, the more when you're standing in front of someone who's never met him, the Holy Spirit has more information to work with. You see, that's how it works. The more stuff you program into the computer, the more tools it has for output, right? What goes in comes out. It's the same way with the scripture. You fill yourself up with the life of Jesus. Let's say you study in detail the gospel of John. You fill yourself up with the life of Jesus. In that moment, when you're called to share your faith in Jesus, your life in Jesus, the computer of your brain has something for the Holy Spirit to work with. Does that make sense? And then that word is shared. And then prayer time. 
A prayer time is the time that you talk back to God. Think of the scripture as him talking to you and teaching you. Think of prayer time as the time you talk back. Now, let me ask you a question. How many relationships have you ever been in where only one person talked? How did that go? It's a little one-sided, isn't it? Have you ever had a relationship like that where only one person talked? It's a little one-sided and it doesn't really work, does it? When you have an authentic relationship and both people are sharing and both people are connecting, it's actually working. Even if you're arguing and fighting, you're communicating, right? It's the same way with God. So barreling into the scripture and making it a priority, filling your life with it, gives you the communication starter. It gives you a place to start where you can now feed back to God what you hear in the scripture. It becomes cyclical and it builds you into a Christ follower. It gives you the tools. It gives you the strength. It gives you the communication skills where when you don't know what to pray, you can fall back to praying what? The same scripture that you just read in the Bible. When you run out of words, you could pray what you've read. And in most cases, God allowed you to read what you read in that day and time so that you could rehearse it with him. Heavenly Father, I don't know what to say to you today, but I know that you want me to keep my mind on things above today and not on what it is that's right in front of me that's so perplexing to me. And I know that it is the sacrifice of Jesus that gives me the ability to relate to you and to know you in that way. Sometimes prayers are just that basic and that simple. So the spiritual disciplines that we're sharing with you, they are not have-tos. They are not things that you have to do to earn God's favor. They are get-tos. They're get-tos in a relationship that God initiated and created in you and one for you. Church on Sunday morning, reading the Bible, praying, sharing your faith, being involved in these disciplines is how we be with Jesus. And the more we be with Jesus, forgive me, English teachers, the more we be with Jesus, the more we do with Jesus. Is that fair to say? The more we be, the more we do. Who is it that you be with? Is it Christ? Let him be the first. Let him be the most. Let him be the all. And all the other things will take their place. All the other stuff will work out. All the other opportunities on Sunday mornings will not negatively affect you. But the thing that will most positively affect you is when you be with Jesus. Be with Jesus. There was a man lying in a bed at advanced age and being visited by his daughter. And uh, his daughter would constantly uh, try to, to encourage him to pray and to talk to God. And he would, you know, kind of nod and, you know, take her advice and, and you know, and, and let her go on about her way. Um, so she was concerned about this, and she reached out to a pastor of a local church and asked the pastor to go and visit her father, who, you know, for all intents and purposes, was on his deathbed, right? And so the pastor went and visited, and as the pastor came into the bedroom, 
to visit with uh, the lady's father, she, uh, he noticed a chair that was sitting beside the bed. And he, he, he goes up and sits down in the chair and he starts talking to the man who's on his deathbed and says, oh, I see you were expecting me. And the man on his bed says, I'm not sure I understand. And, and the pastor says, well, clearly you set a chair out for me. And the pastor says, uh, or the, the man on the bed says, no, pastor, would you mind closing the door, please? So pastor gets up and closes the door and, and then comes in and sits back down. And the man on the bed says, you know, my daughter's been trying to get me to pray for years. And for years and years, I struggled with this idea because I never knew what to say or how to have the words to talk to God. I never felt worthy of having a conversation with God. And then a friend of mine about four years ago taught me something. He said, do this when you need to pray, which is all the time, every day. He said, take an empty chair and sit it down wherever you are and imagine that Jesus is sitting there in that chair in front of you. And when the man did that, he found that he had a way to relate to God in a way that was personal. He realized that if Jesus were sitting in that chair, that he could relate to Jesus as a person, which is exactly the way Christ means to relate to you and me. That was always what was intended by Jesus being born and growing up in the flesh. So the pastor encouraged him and said, man, that's awesome. And he prayed with him and he let him go and he got up and he, and he walked out. So the pastor was sitting in his office just a few days later and got a call um, that um, the, the daughter called him and said that her father had passed away and could she speak with him. So he went over to talk with her. And as he was talking with her and praying with her, she shared with him that when her father was found, uh, passed away, that he was found uh, leaning out of his bed over on the chair. And that's how he died. He found a connection with Jesus that was meant to be. And Christ and his angels escorted him into eternity. When you need to connect with God, the way you do it is through your scriptures, your prayer, your time at church, your time in small group, your time alone with God, and your time with others. God means to be a real part of your everyday life. And when you connect with him in that way, that is how you be. And then when you be, what happens? You do. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you so much for giving us a way to relate to you, to know you. Thank you for giving us a way to prioritize you and make a choice. Thank you for giving us multiple ways to grow in faith through the scripture, through prayer, time together in this fellowship. God, we know that we don't live under the cloud of guilt any longer. That is not the reason we hear about spiritual disciplines. Instead, we know we hear about them so that we can grow in you and trust you. We know that there is no God out there who is more worthy than the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We know that he is the one that we worship and serve and love because he first loved us. So God, as we grow and as we step into the next day tomorrow, help us to remember who it is who wants to be with us. It is you and you come by means that we can use scripture, prayer, 
church, small group, these tools that you've given us. God, with the chutzpah of the Holy Spirit, help us to embrace them with all the courage and power that you mean for us. Because you are our God and we are your people. Let us be in you and let us be informed in doing by who we are. In your name we pray and together we say amen and amen.